Hey, what up? Hello, everybody. Alex Kapitko here, centered from Reality Podcast. It is January 10th. I guess that's a what it's a Wednesday. Yesterday, when I signed off of the episode, I forgot to mention that tonight was the Nikki Haley Rob DeSanctimonious debate. So I scrapped the other topics and decided to do that. And I'll get into that in a moment, but I guess this kind of relates to it. I was out on a run today. The weather was pretty crappy all day. Sort of blizzard-like conditions, finally getting some snow, but I needed to get my run in. So I went out there, and halfway through the run, I don't know, the things I think about sometimes, they're all over the place. But today I started just thinking about how, God, I'm pursuing this one job that I can't really talk about. Um, and I'm going, I'm, I'm excited for what's down the road, all this is looking great. But then at the same time, I'm kind of going... Maybe I just want to go back to school and get a PhD and teach public policy and foreign policy or political theory, get picked up by the Atlantic or Brookings and be able to write some pieces and just become kind of a political thought leader. Because genuinely, at the end of the day, I think I like talking about the why behind politics and the why behind public policy and trying to connect the dots. I mean, I try to do that on this podcast as much as possible. And so I'm just out there thinking while this ice is just blowing into my face and I can't cover my face because the wind is keeping my hood and my my collar from actually helping me cover anything. But I was just thinking about that. And I guess that kind of relates to the debate I just finished watching because, oh, God. Maybe we do need more people to invest in teaching the generations because, whew, I was ready to turn this debate into a drinking game, DeSantisLies.com. You guys will soon um, understand why I keep saying DeSantisLies.com. But I just sat through this debate. We were There was a point where it started at 6. We were 45 minutes in, and I paused it to look at my Apple TV to see how long this thing was, and I'm going, crap. We're 45 minutes in and this thing's going till eight. Like I was hoping maybe it'd be an hour, hour and a half. But this thing, I mean, paint dry arguably could be more entertaining than this debate. And the reason I say that is because why don't we start with the background of why I think this is insane. So first off, it's kind of been all over Trump's Iowa events But he is basically not committed to a peaceful transfer of power, which will not surprise anyone. He's also used the term bedlam a few times, which, you know, can pretty much mean a scene of uproar and confusion. Obviously, you have the different trials going on. Right now, his attorneys are arguing that he has immunity to basically everything. And that gets us to the crux of the insanity is that one of Trump's lawyers, I think it was earlier today, if not later yesterday, they argued that presidents basically would have the the immunity for any conduct unless they were impeached and convicted. And his attorney literally used the example that Trump could sign off on SEAL Team 6 killing a political opponent, and he would be immune from consequences if he was not impeached. So he could literally, like under this logic, He could go have Joe Biden killed by SEAL Team 6 and then say he's immune because maybe the Republicans decide not to convict him in the Senate during an impeachment or the House doesn't file the articles of impeachment because the Republicans have the majority. I mean, this this is just insanity. It basically means that then Joe Biden could also just go out and have Trump assassinated. It's basically the idea that the president can do literally everything and – 
Trump claims we're in a banana republic, and, and it's the banana republic that's using the corrupt justice system to come after him, or the injustice department, or whatever he calls it. But in reality, Trump wants to turn this country into a, a, a banana republic. And I bring this up because right now, Trump is saying crazy shit. He's growing in popularity. And it seems like this whole debate is another Potomkin village between Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis because you have two boring, shape-shifting politicians debating gas taxes and calling each other liars and talking about Social Security while the Titanic is sinking. Basically, you have two boring public policy shapeshifters on the deck of the Titanic debating tax policy while the ship hits Trump, which is the iceberg. And it's just kind of insanity because I'll just start with my take off the beginning, is that this whole debate, it's, it's really unlikely that DeSantis or Nikki Haley are going to be VP. Nikki Haley has a much better chance than DeSantis, but... I just, throughout watching this two hours of just paint drying, I had to ask myself, what is this debate for? And honestly, I think it's for both of them to save face so that they can still have some political career down the road. So anyways, the plan for this is I want to just go through some of the highlights of it, kind of explain the dynamic of the event, and then just give some of my hot takes before we get out of here. So first and foremost, um, this debate happened very timely because Chris Christie dropped out today, days before the Iowa primary, right? I think it starts on Monday, if I'm not mistaken. And the debate was on CNN in Des Moines with, uh, sorry, not with Iowa, with Jake Tapper and Dana Bash. And also, I didn't know CNN Max was a thing, but it also was on CNN Max. I guess this is CNN's new attempt after the failed CNN Plus, blah, blah, blah. And I also think it's kind of ironic that the two alternatives to Trump had their potentially final debate on CNN. Something fitting about that. But anyways, DeSantis walks in. And I'll start off by saying he looked a little bit less like a robot. And throughout the debate, we did notice that he stopped... He stopped the mechanical smile that looks like he's suffering and walking on nails. And in this one, he was solemn. He was serious. He had the face of a guy that looked like he was down double, potentially, well, not triple, but 30 points down (laughs) to Trump. That's the look he had. And I will say, generally speaking, DeSantis was better than in other debates. The talking points were awful, but he was better. Also... Nikki Haley tried a new strategy that I was debating turning into a drinking game, but then I was like, it's a Wednesday, I gotta get up early, I'm gonna have to drive in a blizzard, or not in a blizzard, but in icy roads, I gotta run tomorrow, you know, I got shit to do, so I didn't, but I debated cracking open a few beers and drinking every time she said DeSantisLies.com. And she even spoke out to Drake University, which is where this event happened, Her response at the beginning was, Drake University, don't turn this into a drinking game because you will be overserved by the end of the night. And I guess that was good advice to be not actually doing the drinking game in hindsight. But basically what happened is her and DeSantis went back and forth with catchy catchphrases and calling each other shape-shifting liars. And the irony is, is it was like, 
It was literally like two pots calling the, ke- the other kettle black or a kettle calling the pot black, just going back and forth. But every time DeSantis would say, would say something, Nikki Haley would just blurt out DeSantisLies.com, DeSantisLies.com. And I'm recording this so soon after, after the debate that there's probably, as of now, no compilation. But let's just say if you were drinking with your friends and turned this into a drinking game and you were taking shots... You're going to have a rough morning tomorrow, would be my takeaway. And so, anyways, they um, the first part of the debate is they go back and forth attacking each other's legitimacy, viability, and lies. They start by asking DeSantis why he should be the alternative. And I actually think DeSantis started off strong with this. He says Trump is running to pursue his issues. Haley is running to pursue her donor's issues. And again, DeSantis put on his serious face tonight. No longer the painful smile that makes me want to stop smiling for good. And then Haley responds, and she says, you're going to find out a lot about DeSantis's lies tonight. First, DeSantisLies.com. And then they go back at it with each other. They both call each other the donor class. And the irony is, is that DeSantis was the donor class, but then he lost all the donors because his campaign is bad. And then she got all the donors. And then they're calling each other the donor class person when both of them kind of want him. And, and, and Nikki Haley does come out and say that he's just jealous because she took all of his donors, which is probably true. Again, getting back to this whole Potomkin Village debate and the idea that these two are debating tax policy while the ship is sinking, I find it interesting because right off the bat, they are both asked about Trump's character. But then as I'll get to in a moment, then they spend the next like 40 to 50 minutes just debating gas taxes and just nuances in the economy, which people like me that studied economics and public policy, I like. But do you really think the average Trump voter or the or the maybe pro DeSantis voter is really going to start fact checking everything they say on DeSantisLies.com? Sorry, no. But anyways, they're asked about Trump's character and... Haley does this very milquetoast, cowardly answer where she says moral clarity is key to our president. And then she goes on with that Trump was the right president at the right time bullshit. And I just find it's insane for her to say the leader needs to have moral clarity when Trump has been the same person for 50 years and she's at one time supported him, worked for him, and he's always been kind of a crappy person. It's nothing new. And he didn't show much moral clarity when he led the free world, especially in foreign policy, kissing the ass of some of the worst leaders in the world. So I found that really fun. And of course, then she says Trump should be at the debate defending his record. And then she talks about how he added to the national debt and didn't deal with China on intellectual property or the sanctions correctly. All true things, but this is also a gal that worked in his administration and has really failed to condemn him much. (laughs) <laughs> of course, DeSantis's answer was worse on Trump. He responded by saying that he appreciates Trump, but doesn't think he delivered on the promises. And the funny thing is, is that the things that DeSantis actually thinks Trump didn't deliver on are the really radical things like abortion, the wall, immigration, the vaccine, Fauci. It's like all the stuff that Trump maybe didn't go far enough on are the ones that DeSantis is like, yo, 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 hold my beer. And <laughs> DeSantis fails to really talk about Trump at all during this debate. But he does, during this part, um, he does say Nikki may be more liberal than Gavin Newsom, which is insane. 
And he avoids talking about Trump again and attacks Nikki and her inability to fight for her voters. Probably my favorite line of the night, though, was this. Again, like I said, this debate was full of great catchphrases from each candidate that obviously don't mean anything in solving our problems, but they were fun to listen to. And my favorite was from DeSantis when he said here, you can't find Nikki Haley to fight for you, even if you have a search warrant. (laughs) I loved that. And he also calls out Nikki for, you know, siding with Trump on China and talks about how she's been very friendly to China and their country. And then they just kind of don't talk about Trump for about mm, 40 minutes or so. <sighs> I I don't want to talk about all of the debate, but basically they get into this war of words or how you frame a question where Nikki says she never raised the gas tax and now she opposes the gas tax. And DeSantis said, well, you tried to raise the gas tax, and now you've shape-shifted and flipped, and now you're against the gas tax. And then Nikki says that she, if they were going to raise the gas tax, she said they were going to have to reduce the income tax by 5% in South Carolina and, and on the federal level. And then DeSantis is like, so that means you did actually think about raising the gas tax. And it's this exhausting debate. It kind of reminds me of when Tim Scott and Nikki Haley debated the curtains. I don't know if you guys remember Curtain Gate, where apparently Nikki Haley got curtains from the Obamas when she was governor of South Carolina. And yeah, that's a big scandal. And then DeSantis gets into... I mean, he gets into the flat tax... He gets into how the IRS is weaponized against Republicans, which will appeal much more to the base than Nikki Haley talking about reducing the income tax to fund the gas tax, which which is something I actually think is an interesting kind of debate about how to tax and how to curb spending at the same time. But of course, that is not where the Republican Party's at right now. But I also found the IRS weaponized thing interesting because... That was kind of a big media scare during the Obama era, and now it's obviously back because Biden is funding the IRS and putting in new people to help enforce taxes. The irony here is that the Republicans talk about how we have a spending problem, not a taxation problem. Nikki Haley talked about it a lot tonight, so did DeSantis. And the thing is, is that if you actually gave the IRS more resources to actually go after the people that are really fraudulent on their taxes, not the average Joe who maybe forgot to pay some of their taxes from tips earned at a restaurant while waiting tables. If the IRS has more resources, it could actually go after the people that have their money overseas and are not paying any taxes. But that's besides the point. I also found it interesting that Nikki then talks about how she wants to cut entitlement programs. She also wants to claw back on unspent COVID funds, cut the IRS, go after people that use use the CARES Act for fraud. That was one of those big pro-business COVID spending bills. And, And, you know, I like some of her ideas more than DeSantis is here because he doesn't I don't well I don't think either one of them have a firm stance on anything but there's not a lot of how here and that I guess the how doesn't matter because again this is the Republican party in 2024. So then then they get to the border. Honestly nothing really to talk about so I'll probably just move through that. It's the same old stuff where I kind of agree with Nikki when she brings up remain in Mexico, which which basically is like some of these people coming, they should probably get refuge in the or get aid 
and be able to seek asylum in the first country they come to. They shouldn't be able to cherry pick where they want to end up. And that's the idea that if you're coming from like Honduras or Guatemala or wherever else, if the first country you arrive in is Mexico, then that is probably where you should first work on seeking aid. And of course, I, it is not lost on me that Mexico is not the safest place, the most stable place right now. But it does seem like a lot of people claim asylum, but at times are just economic refugees or economic immigrants that understand that the United States is a great place to come. And it's a double-edged sword because I don't want to totally deter people from coming to the United States because I think our role as a country where you can grow and come to work and do better and be safer, it's something we don't want to lose as much as the national conservative movement under Trump wants to scare away immigrants, especially black and brown immigrants, minority immigrants that don't look like us. And I think that is dangerous. So I go back and forth on this. But of course, I think the Republicans are correct that our asylum process is broken. DeSantis, of course... DeSantisLies.com, attacks Nikki Haley and says she is the fox guarding the hen house, DeSantisLies.com. And DeSantis argues that Trump deported less people than Barack Obama, which I do believe is fairly accurate. But then he makes Nikki Haley sound like some open borders fiend. Now, it is interesting because she's endorsed by the Koch brothers and Corp, Coke, sorry, Coke Corporation or whatever it's called. And arguably... They are pro more open borders because they see cheap labor as good for their kind of neoconservative or even libertarian economics, right? And so <laughs> there are so many forces at play here. But then Nikki Haley talks about having E-Verify more as a national apparatus and, and, and implementing it in more states quickly. Just for those who are maybe forgetting, E-Verify is a web-based system that basically gives employers the ability to check the eligibility of their employees to work in the United States. Anyways, Nikki Haley, both Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley, are for some form of mass deportation. But we will, we will move on. Anyways, Ukraine is a topic that comes up on this. Sorry, I was thinking for a second. And I was telling a buddy, we were texting a little bit ago, and I was like, I don't like either one of these candidates. They both seem like shapeshifters to me. But... Nikki Haley is good on this issue. I do genuinely think she's good on this issue. And she started out this segment when asked about Ukraine by saying that no one knows what DeSantis believes. DeSantisLies.com, by the way. And then Haley talks about how, you know, which is just a fact, is like during the Obama era, DeSantis was one of the congressmen saying Obama wasn't doing enough and he was very support supportive of Ukraine. And then Nikki Haley just talks about how now he wants to be a populist like Trump and he's completely changed. And Nikki Haley does a good little rant here about how dictators do what they want to do. She talks about how Putin has told us what he wants to do. He wants to take Transnistria next, Belarus, parts of Poland. Like, Putin is not being shy about his intentions here. And she also talks about how we needed a lot of friends the day after 9-11. And we need to remember that Ukraine is also going to need friends. And you need to make friends with your friends and protect your friends. And again, you can think what you want about Nikki Haley. I am not a big Nikki Haley stan by any means, but I think she genuinely has been correct on this. She talks about how this, she, she actually even talks about how she does not want to send troops to Ukraine, American troops. And she doesn't even agree with giving just cash to the Ukrainian government because she doesn't want to pay for their bureaucracy and their government officials. She wants to get them the arms they need. And this has been my stance for a long time. And she talks about how this isn't an offensive aid 
that we're giving. This is defensive. We are helping Ukraine keep off an aggressive imperialist system. And DeSantis, as she perfectly well highlights, still can't make his mind up about it. And it's, it's interesting because DeSantis can't really respond with any policy, which he rarely does. He just calls Nikki Haley a carbon copy of Biden. And now in my circles, being kind of on the center left or in the center, that's actually good because I think Biden's done fairly well on Ukraine. But of course, now that's going to stick in Iowa to mean that she's a rhino, I'm sure. I'm sure that's kind of what he's trying to get at. But he just says that she wants to go on supporting the conflict no matter what. And of course, he's the one that brings up, which I haven't seen it completely proven that the U.S. is helping fund the Ukrainian government and its, bureauc- and its bureaucrats and helping pay for them. But he says that and gets a huge applause. And then he also says another pretty good line because, again, this debate was all about attacking each other with good one-liners. And he said, you can take the ambassador out of the United Nations, but you can't take the United Nations out of the ambassador, implying that she, would, she wants to just be the United Nations and help everybody hunky-dory, all good. Next, they move into a topic that I think they're both very wrong on, which is Gaza-Hamas, Israel-Hamas, whatever you want to say. And both of them seem to have this idea, which I just don't understand. And as you guys know, I am supportive of Israel's existence. I'm not supportive of what Israel's doing. Um, And they basically have this idea that the United States isn't helping Israel enough, which is just absurd. Anyways, DeSantis is asked first, and he says that Biden needs to get the job done and doesn't agree with current policy because he doesn't think the Palestinian Arabs actually support Israel's existence. And then he also talks about how we need to trust Israel to make the right decisions. I'm just like WTF. I would argue it's the Biden administration and Blinken and others like Secretary Austin who are actually making sure Israel has is pressured to not make all the decisions because some of the decisions Israel wants to make, as we know already, have been pretty radical. For example, you have the religious Zionism party head Bezalel Smotrich, who has, according to Haaretz in Israel, called human rights groups an existential threat to Israel's existence. You have Itamar Ben-Gavir, who is a protege of an extremist who's quite anti-Arab in a lot of ways. And so I don't know if we totally want to listen to this new coalition government totally that Netanyahu has formed. And so... And I, I don't still know totally what DeSantis means when he says Biden needs to get the job done and we need to help Israel do it. And Haley says that it's rich. Well, well, then she goes on to say it's rich for DeSantis to campaign with Congressman Massey, who is quite kind of Rand Paul to the extreme, kind of a Republican libertarian. And he voted against Israel funding and um, a lot of the anti-free speech policies on college campus because he is just a libertarian. Like, he votes against everything. And I found this whole debate, again, just trying to twist the knife into each other's back instead of actually talk about, look, how do we prevent this from becoming a larger regional conflict? No answers on that. No answers on how we do look at a ceasefire or at least pressure the Israeli government to do something else, basically, because... We have close to 30,000 people, mainly women and children, dead in in Gaza. And that's just not acceptable, especially when DeSantis is saying Biden needs to get the job done. Then they get into free speech. (laughs) 
Disney, small government. I'm just going to not really say much about it. DeSantis says that South Carolina was involved in transing the kids, which I don't even know what that means. But it, it it's like these two are talking in a vacuum, especially DeSantis is talking in a vacuum where there's just like a, like every public school across the country, especially in liberal cities and in coastal cities and, and states, is basically just sexualizing our kids and turning them into radicals. And I, there's cases of it for sure, but I just don't think it's that broad and that much of a scare. And he says most corporate most corporate Republicans have caved. I fight for the kids. I don't sexualize curriculum. You know all this type of stuff. And it's 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 interesting to see how much DeSantis wants to use big government against this when he claims to be a small government Tea Party era conservative. And and Nikki Haley's answer, I guess you could say, is more nuanced. But I'd say it's more just trying to trying to be vague enough that it can maybe appeal to some on the more Trump DeSantis side, but also some on the never Trump side. She's like, if you're under 18, you shouldn't be allowed to get gender affirming care, all that type of stuff. She, she talks about being very pro women's rights, which she thinks are in opposition to trans rights, which is just not true. I, I think she acts like nuance, but again, it's just a facade. And they, 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 they debate China for a little bit, China, as Trump says. And the China debate these two have is kind of unique because they're kind of talking past one each, like past each other about, you know, DeSantis is bragging that he wants to take Chinese money out of universities. He's not letting Chinese firms or Chinese individuals buy up land in Florida. Nikki Haley is talking about how the economy is shifting and jobs are overseas. And the thing is here is that they're pointing fingers at each other, of course, but they're blaming each other for something that I think is just central to our modern era. And it's that China has profited off of kind of our change to a service sector economy and our outsourcing of production. And China has financial influence around the world. And, you know, they talk in this debate time and time again about how they want to make goods in America again. But they, they're even asked by Jake Tapper how would you do that without making goods way more expensive? And there's just really not an answer. And so I think all of us are for more production in the United States. But one of the only answers I hear DeSantis say is he wants to get rid of the Green New Deal, drill, and get rid of EVs to help bolster our auto industry again. And to be completely honest, a lot of automakers have already just kind of moved towards EVs anyways. A lot of the auto workers strikes we've seen have been because of this. EVs have less parts. They require less manufacturing. It is not good for the workers right now, but it's, it's the way things are going and you can't try to obstruct changing technology and changing labor dynamics when that's just the trend. And these two are kind of debating a 90s era issue. I, I, I literally believe that. Like this is a debate that should have been had in the 1990s, when Clinton was so involved in NAFTA and all these other deals that did help send manufacturing overseas. But times have changed, and it's going to be really difficult to bring those jobs back unless you want to pay like $5,000 for a new iPhone that's made all in Ohio. And anyways, do we really want to go back to almost a mercantilist economic system? 
For those who maybe aren't as familiar, mercantilism is kind of a tried and I would argue failed nationalist economic policy where you maximize exports, minimize imports for an economy. Basically, you want your country to accumulate resources and use those resources for one-sided trade. And this involves tariffs on imports, subsidizing domestic industries, devaluation of specific currencies, restrictions on immigration for labor. This is kind of, in a sense, what America first nationalism wants to do. And I would argue it stunts growth and trade restrictions are not good for the consumer inside of the country. (laughs) And there's no competition. And it's and Adam Smith, for example, was very against it because it stifles growth. So do we really want that? Because that seems to be the only thing I hear Republicans saying, but I don't think that would be good for the country either. Now, the other interesting thing they talk about is social security. Nikki Haley wants to raise the age. She talks about if, I I forget the exact age, but I think it was like if you're 25 or younger, they want to raise the age, basically meaning that you're probably not going to start getting social security till you're much older because people are living longer and it's running out. She doesn't want to say start cutting it off to people that are almost getting to social security age, which she says would be a lie because people have been working their whole lives for social security. And Ron DeSantis has voted for raising the age when he was in Congress. He is quite against keeping the social security status quo the way it is. And I mean, most economists argue that it's not sustainable what we have going right now. But all of a sudden, Ron DeSantis is talking about how he doesn't want to touch it. And Nikki has a good point here, saying basically that Ron is lying because he's losing, and now he's flipping and taking this more populist narrative on it. And Trump has done the same thing. But I have to say that I probably agree with Nikki Haley on this, because currently our Social Security administration, and how we what I mean is how we administer Social Security, it's going to work for the time being for the boomers, but we're not going to see much for younger generations. And we're still promising younger generations that they're going to get social security. So in a sense, we do need to raise the age as life expectancy. Well, life expectancy has kind of gone down in the US recently, but you catch my drift is generally people are expected to be living longer. And so there does probably need to be an age when you're in your 20s where we just break it, we pull off the bandaid and say, well, you're just not going to get the same social security that previous generations have had. And that is, <laughs> believe me, not a very po- po- like popular, politically popular, sorry, I can't speak, argument, but it is a conversation that needs to be had. And I don't think either one of these politicians particularly want to have it. And it was about a year ago, stated, well, a little under a year ago, but it was the State of the Union where Biden basically convinced the, all the GOP members there to agree to not changing Social Security. So now they're all kind of stuck and it's a mess. Social Security is a mess. I don't have a, I don't have the time in this episode to dive into it, but it's probably worth an entire episode. <coughs> Excuse me. And then they get the last thing I want to talk about is abortion. DeSantis just claims again he's protecting lives and he also has an interesting argument where he says the Democrats are just fear-mongering about this. He's like there are no states that would actually lock up a woman for trying to get an abortion. That is not the goal. They don't want to target people. They don't want a vigilante immigration system. And and again, Nikki Haley kind of threads the needle here, 
talking about how she is pro-life, which again, I think is a contradictory phrase, but she talks about how this is a very personal issue and the Republicans are using fear and legislation and targeting doctors and women. And she says Democrats are using judgment, which I don't completely understand. But I do think that Nikki Haley would prefer people to not get abortions, but she understands it's a personal issue. And she is definitely more right than DeSantis on this, right as in more correct in her stance, not right wing, more correct in her stance. And DeSantis responds by saying, there are no states that are trying to jail women for this. And then she looks at him and she's like, actually, yes, there is legislation in South Carolina right now that is looking to put women in jail or at least try them for getting abortions after certain bans. And I think she has the right instinct on this, that it shouldn't be some giant government oversight and a fear-mongering campaign that also leads to citizens being able to turn in doctors and all of that. So, yeah, I mean, I don't particularly like any of the Republican stance on abortion, but I do think her and Nikki, I mean, her and Chris Christie have better instincts on this. So anyways, final thoughts here. It was boring without Vivek and Chris Christie. And it, it just is so clear to me that these two just, there's no fire there. I mean, I've seen some recent polling in New Hampshire where Nikki Haley is within single digits of Donald Trump. I think I saw like 39 to 32. It's one state. I wouldn't get too excited about it. But you know that these two were desperate when this whole debate was DeSantisLies.com and Nikki Haley lies and these both, you don't know how, you don't know who to believe in questioning each other's loyalties. And it, it was just a pointless debate that I, luckily enough, got to sit through and then do a podcast on. So I'm done. Nothing else to really say here. I'm going to get out of here. Because again, these two are attacking each other and kind of making a mockery out of what was supposed to be the Trump alternative. And Donald Trump is probably the winner of this again, because he's doing fine and getting more and more dangerous and radical. And these two just don't have answers. And unless we're going to have a debate where they talk about what should be next, how to deal with Trump's comments about the January 6th hostages, or his inability to say he will not condone violence or attacks towards judges or Democrats, then it's then this debate's pointless. I'm sorry. Debating gas taxes and border policies when neither one of these people even probably have a chance at VP, it's just pointless. So I'm out of here. Have a good night. Bye.